It is February 15th, 2009. Welcome to the 12th episode of Digital Photography Life. I'm Scott Sherman. And I'm Michael Stein. And today will be a show about bests. We'll be talking about the best new lens for Nikon DSLR shooters, the popular photography's best camera of the year, and the best laptop for photographers. But first, the theme music. So, Michael, I said in the beginning of the show that um, we'd be talking about bests, but all of this stuff is very subjective, isn't it? It's incredibly subjective. I mean, you know, we talk about the best lens, but it's the best lens if you need that kind of lens, right? It's best for who it was made for. (laughs) Uh, Best laptop, if that's the kind of laptop you want, right? Yep. So let's keep all of that in mind. But we do know what the best photography podcast is, don't we? Which one is that? That would be Digital Photography Life. And do you want to tell everybody where they can contact us? They can contact us at digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. And where else can they find us on the web? You can find us at photography.personallifemedia.com. You can find Scott's blog at scottsphotoblog.com. And you can also, also, also starting a new uh, companion site, which is, doesn't have much on it yet, but it's digitalphotographylife.com. Well, we figured we should do something with the name, right? Yeah, you know, we registered the domain, stick a site up there. What the heck? There are no ads on it. Well, that's a good thing. But if we can we do a quick plug for SmugMug, speaking of ads, um, what would you say is the best photo sharing site, not only for sharing your photos with friends and relatives, but for selling them, if you so choose to do? I would say it's SmugMug.com or DPLife.SmugMug.com, where you can buy our photos. Well, (laughs) have you priced our photos there for sale? I have, but no one's bought any. (laughs) No one's bought any of our photos. I don't expect anyone to really buy any. I just, I priced them out because the feature was there. And I said, hey, you know, anyway. All right. Well, if somebody would like to buy one of our, did you price them up with a good markup? Like what, what, what's the, because you can choose. like, you know, a 500% markup. Hey, listen, hey, where's the best photos? (laughs) dplife.smugmug.com. There you'll also find the entrance for our most recent photo contest, which we'll be judging soon, right? Yeah. Okay, well, that'll be very cool. Um, anything happen with you photography-wise in the past week you want to share? <sighs> Another cold week in Vermont, although it's been warming up. It's been finally getting over 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So, uh, you're breaking but, uh, freezing. It's breaking freezing, and it just went back down. And so it's been one of those tough winters to get outside. Well, it is rough, but if you're stuck inside, might as well work on your Smug Mug site. Let's just tell everybody, speaking of best, the best deal you can find on Smug Mug is go visit Scott's photo blog. There is a code there for 50% off your first year of service at Smug Mug. There's also a offer for a free camera strap. We have the link where you can get a free strap for your DSLR from Smug Mug for the price again. What was that, Michael? For free. For free. Our favorite price in the world. So, Miguel, let's just get into the day's news, shall we? We have a bunch of stuff. No guest today other than me and you, right? Yeah, we're we're guests of each other. Yes. Well, you be, you know what? You be my guest and I'll be yours. That, That works for me. And treat your family like company. 
Always do. I don't know how that's relevant. But there's a bunch of news things that came out in the past couple of weeks we wanted to talk about. Um, first, there is a new lens from Nikon, which is always nice because um, you're a Nikon shooter and many others out there are always looking for the latest and greatest. But it's kind of interesting because it's the first time that they've made a specific kind of lens for the DSLR market. Is that right? It's well, sort of. I mean, the new lens is the it's called the AFS DX Nikon 35 millimeter 1.8. And what this lens is, well, sort of represents a modernization, I think the beginning of the modernization of Nikon's lens housings. And Nikon is known for having great optics and super durable lenses, great weatherproofing and all that. Uh, but their lens, um, their lenses are a little bit old in some ways in that they a lot of them have um, motor drives that require uh, the camera itself to have a motor drive to actually focus the lens. And the new modern lenses have the focus drives built into the lens housings themselves, which give you a faster focusing and quieter focusing. And um, the prime lenses of Nikon, almost all of them rely on... on um, on the motor drive being built into the camera. So this, and they designate that as, um, when it has it built into the camera, as AFS. Now let's just take that, a second. Not everybody knows all the terminology. Right. What is a prime lens versus a zoom? Right. A prime lens is when the uh, when there's just one focal length for the lens. So like 50 millimeter lens. It doesn't zoom at all. It just pretty much, you have to zoom with your feet. You have to walk forward. You have to walk backward. <laughs> and that's how you zoom. And then the zoom lens will change its focal length. So like 18, millim- 18 millimeter for wide angle to 70 millimeter for telephoto. And so this lens is um, a 35 millimeter lens, which on the full frame world, uh, the regular old fashioned 35 millimeter cameras uh, would be a wide angle lens. But on the smaller crop sensors, such as an Icon D40, D60, D80, D90, D300, it's effectively a 52 millimeter lens, which gives you again that normal perspective. In the old days, almost all cameras came. The, the kit lens for a camera used to be a 50 millimeter lens, and uh, and so these 50 millimeter lenses were super sharp, super great. And so now what they've done, what they've done is replaced that 50 millimeter lens with a 35 millimeter lens to give you a normal perspective. That only only fits on the cropped sensor cameras. And that's significant because lately all of the news has been about full frame cameras, right? Well, yeah. I mean, and that's the very first thing I, when I first heard this news, the first thing I heard were people with, who are into the full frame sensor cameras complaining, Hey, how come you didn't just make it a full frame, uh, make it for full frame. And the answer is pretty simple. Um, 80% 80% of Nikon's business comes from the DSLRs from the crop sensors. And so it was designed for 80% of their market. So they're going to design other lenses for that other 20%. But why not design a lens that they can make smaller and lighter and really less expensive? Um, I have a, a, a Nikon 35mm F2 lens, which is fabulous. It's full frame. And it costs like $400. Right, and it and it's of the old style where it is a non AFS lens, so it has one of these loud focusing motors. It's not as fast. It works when, it works very well, but it's just kind of loud and not you know not as fast and focusing. So I feel like what's interesting about this is two things. One is it's showing Nikon's ongoing commitment 
to the cropped sensor market and in the process revealing that 80% of their sales are still in that market. It's also the first prime lens that I know of that was produced um, by Nikon or Canon for the uh, you know cropped sensor, generally less expensive DSLRs, which is kind of interesting because prime lenses, I think, are kind of the province of the more serious photographer, right? Yeah, it's actually there is there has there was another Nikon. Oh, there was. Yeah, it's the but it's a very specialized lens. It's the ten point five millimeter fisheye lens. Oh, okay. And so I don't know how much that really counts. I mean, it's a nice lens, uh, but it's a very you know specialized lens. But this is a commonly used lens. But I, I feel in the, in the consumer market, most people are buying zoom lenses. Most consumers don't even know about prime lenses. So the fact that they're producing prime lenses for the cropped sensor DSLRs, do you think they're saying essentially, hey, we know some serious shooters are using these cameras? Oh, yes. I, I know when I bought my D70 four years ago, you know, I had, it came with an 18 to 70 millimeter zoom lens and I wanted something that was going to let more light in, something that was fast. So I, the first thing I bought was what everyone said to buy was the 50 millimeter 1.8, mm-hmm. but that was too tight. Right. And so then I overcompensated. I bought a Sigma 20 millimeter 1.8, and that was too wide. It's like the three bears. And then then I bought the 35 millimeter F2, and that was sort of just right. And so that lens is a really great uh, field of view. Right. And um, I also know that there's a, um, that the Sigma has been producing for about two years a 30 millimeter 1.4 lens. And I imagine, from what I understand, is that lens has been hugely successful. It's great for portraits. It's, it's a great low-light lens, and it's a great field of view. So um, I imagine it's a part of the market where Nikon wanted to, you know, saw a gap and needed to fill. Yeah, I, I think it's terrific that they did it. You know, um, you and I are presently in the lusting phase for full-frame cameras, but there's a lot of people who are committed to the crop sensor format and... You know, I might actually, my may, I may not buy that full frame camera next. You know, they, they they're still cost twice as much as the smaller sensor cameras, and you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a big question about value. How yeah. much more value does it bring you? I, I'm sure, you know, for professionals, it brings a, a lot of value. But I'm really pleased to see Nikon release this lens. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good step. I'm also, I mean, on, on the other hand, I'm also looking forward to seeing. They say that there are going to be more announcements this year. I'm looking to see what other kinds of DX type lenses are going to come out with and full frame lenses. I think, you know, I'm looking forward to things like the 85 millimeter 1.4 AFS lens, you know, or even if there was a DX version of that, that'd be kind of cool too. have it a little smaller, but have that amazing 1.4. And the DX lenses can be produced cheaper. They can be cheaper because there's less glass and they're lighter. So why not have something lighter? So if you're into the DX uh, cameras and you don't think you're going to go full frame, why not? It'd be great for them to make a set of lenses that really matched the cameras. All right. So do we know, is is the lens available yet? Can you buy one? Not that I've heard, no. Are you going to get on a waiting list or what? No, I'm not on the waiting list. I'll have to ask to see if I can review it. But uh, <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, it sounds like a very interesting lens. I'm sure it's going to be very good. The It's described well and it, it's a great price. Yeah, I mean, it's about it's supposed to be about two hundred dollars. Yep, one one ninety nine ninety five, not two hundred, Michael. Yeah, and, that, and that's half the price of the thirty five millimeter right f two lens. Right, sweet. Yeah, 
All right. Well, I'll get one. I'm a cannon shooter, but it sounds so good. What the heck? <laughs> so okay. I look forward to more announcements. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of Canon, the 5D Mark II was just reviewed by dpreview.com. And, and I want to talk to you a little bit about it because there was something about it that interested me. So for those of you who don't know, DP Review is really one of the um, most widely read, I think respected digital photography review sites out there. They do extensive, extensive reviews of their cameras. The review of the 5D Mark II was 40 pages long. And that's 40 web pages. But some of those pages are very long because he can do 20 and 30 comparisons for, you know, each one of those pages of the 5D Mark II versus all of its competitors, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I also that this is a significant camera. So and they know every the whole world is watching. So they're right. going to do it in detail and do it proper justice of a review. So they do a very thorough job. They're very well respected. And they gave the 5D Mark II, which is Canon's latest full-frame camera, speaking of full-frame cameras, their highly recommended status, which is their highest ranking, is to say that a camera is highly recommended. They they don't do an aggregate score. They score all of the camera's features, like build quality and ergonomics and handling, uh, image quality. They They score each one of these on a scale of 1 to 10, and they don't do a rounded average among the uh, six qualities. But I, I rounded out the score for the 5D Mark II. They gave it an average of 9.08. That was the average score of the categories. Did I explain okay. that right? Sure. Okay. I mean, I never, I never look at it that way. I don't think they actually like add things up and no, they, they don't. I'm saying, they don't average. I averaged it because I they, wanted to they, understand. It. I mean, they're, they're they even you know in their comments they tell you the subjectivity that went into making that score. Sometimes it's sort of like highly recommended, just yeah. You know. Right. No, they, they they gave it a overall score of nine point zero eight, um, and they said in their conclusion, we have always placed a heavy emphasis on image quality and all other things aside. This means the five D Mark II has to receive our highest rating. When you consider the price of the EOS 1DS Mark III, the camera above it, the five D Mark II seems like quite a bargain. So they obviously recommend it. However, they gave it a slightly lower score if you take that average, which they don't do. You know, they just rate them both highly recommended. But if you compare it to the closest competitor in the Nikon lineup, which is the D700, their least expensive full-frame camera, they gave that a rounded score of 9.3, so a little bit higher. Also, the um, highly recommended overall ranking. Now, my point in bringing this up is that when you read the review and see how they scored it, what seems apparent to me is they gave the 5D Mark II absolutely no credit for having the high-resolution video capability, which everybody who I read and speak to about that camera is very excited about that. So I wanted to ask you as a photographer, do you think that's fair? Uh, you know, I just don't know where that's to weigh in. I mean, because they're they're rating it as a photographic tool, not as a video tool. You know, it has this. I don't. You know, it's hard to compare that when you say that's not. You know, 
we're trying to compare what are the similar features. I think it's just a bonus about it being having the video in there. And you know, personally, I think it's all a first gen. It's all first generation. Where they have the D ninety and the five D Mark II. It's all first generation technology. It's gonna. We know it's gonna get better. We know there's gonna be a convergence. Is this what that camera is about? I mean, I look at it. Just, I mean, even if you're just basing it on, you know, the image quality and the, you know the resolution and all that, and the high, you know the ISO performance, just on those things alone, you know, is mostly what it should be based on, as well as the ergonomics and such. Well, I'll be. Uh, yeah, I, mean, well, I think I think it's a, I think it's a great thing, and it's, and it's going to appeal to some people, and other people they're not going to care. They're I still going to buy fair. the camera. And they're not going to care about that. A lot of people don't care about live view, and it's there. You know. Right. How much weight should how much weight should that get? Yeah. Well, it's a good question, you know, but they do break down their ratings into you mentioned ergonomics, you mentioned image quality. Those are separately ranked um, you know, measures. One of the measures is features. They gave the D seven hundred from Nikon and the five D Mark II, they gave both of those cameras a nine point five for features, which I just don't think is fair. I think I don't understand how you say the camera with no video capability is equal in features to the camera with the first high resolution capability in a full frame camera. Well, I mean, what feature? You know, you have to look at the features of the D seven hundred. It has features too. Yeah, it does have features, but other than that, the features are fairly comparable. It's not like it flies or transforms into a race car. No, it just uh, you know it has its own feature set, and you know. <laughs> I'm not going to go down bullet by bullet, but uh, I'm just pointing out that it has features that are unique to it. Well, I, I think and your point of is legitimate of, of the fact that they are reviewing as a camera, not as a video camera, and maybe they just don't have any place in their scale to give it any extra credit, although I would have liked to have seen that camera get some credit for having you know the full-frame video, but... You know, I think that these reviewers and others are going to have to start to change their criteria because well, this is I mean, going to be you'll see it on it. more and more cameras. I mean, they they certainly do mention it, and they mention that it you know they mention that how it has a microphone jack, which is really good. Yeah, but I but, don't see it. I don't see it scored. I mean, not that you would necessarily. You know, they don't. It, when you look at the scoring, the only place it could go in is features, and there it ties with. The D700, which has very similar features, except it doesn't have the video. So the only place they could have bumped it up and given him credit would have been to give Canon the full 10 out of 10 for features, and they don't do it. I think it's an... Well, maybe there, are, maybe there are features that they thought it should have had, but it didn't. Maybe I mean, there I, are. I, I, I mean, someone from my photo club just uh, got one, and he's a, not a, fil he's a film shooter. Right. And, just, and this is his first digital camera. Ooh. And uh, so his first digital camera is the Canon 5D Mark II, huh? Yeah, and so Sweet. we were talking about it and uh, ergonomics and such, and he was like, you know, it doesn't always the ergonomics of it don't for him. He was saying how it doesn't always like work the way he would want it to work in terms of you know general ergonomics. It doesn't fit his shooting style, and he was considering returning it. Now, again, he's a you know he's a film shooter, right? <laughs> and so. I don't know if that would have been my first camera. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it depends what he had before. I mean, you know, ergonomics, I always think, is a very hard thing to rate unless you've really played with and regularly use a lot of cameras from a lot of different manufacturers because the bottom line is the ergonomics you like are the ergonomics you know, and a camera can be better, quote-unquote, better ergonomics, but if you're not used to that layout, you're going to be more comfortable with what you know. I don't don't agree that the ergonomics are what you know. I think that uh, there are... Some ergonomics uh, force certain workflows, and if that workflow doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Well, look, um, you, you look it's, at- not about, it's not about not giving it a chance. I mean, yeah, some people don't like change, um, but every time you get a new camera, there's change, no matter what. Even if you're working from a Canon to a new Canon, you know, they move around the buttons, and there's a new button, this other one's gone. There's always change. Um, but ergonomics do dictate a workflow, a specific workflow, and some are more restrictive than others. All right, but if you want to look at it objectively, on ergonomics, uh, DP Review does give that camera 9.5. Oh, I, wasn't I don't know that, that I've ever seen them give any camera 10 in any yeah. category of you. And I wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that this camera had any ergonomic issues. I was talking about someone else's reflection on that. Oh, well, that's what I'm saying. Ergonomics is about what you're used to. <laughs> no, ergonomics is about how easy something is to use. Which is very influenced by what how, you're how used it's to. Designed, how, is, how well is it designed to be used? What it's, what's its interface? I agree. Some interface design is better than other interface design. Right. But in general, you're more comfortable with what you're used to. Unless it's something like, you know, it's a big camera and you've got small hands or vice versa. You know, those kind of ergonomic things can be. You know, I can pick up a, a Nikon with great ergonomics, but I just don't know how to change the shutter speed or you know, play back the images as well as I do with a Canon. So unless I spend oh. a lot of time with both cameras, it'd be very difficult for me to say which was better. That's all I'm saying. Unless you, you know, really no, have a yeah. lot of opportunity to play with the camera and get used to it, it's really hard to judge it. I hear you. You know, I mean, because we go to photo shows all the time, you and I, and I'll pick up cameras from brands like Olympus and Pentax and Panasonic, which I've never used before, to me, they seem very awkward. But, you know, I always say that's just me. It doesn't mean the camera's awkwardly designed. I just don't know how to use it. I hear you. So that's my that's my feeling on that. But my feeling on video is it's going to become increasingly important. And uh, these people who are reviewing are going to have to start considering it. It's going to be, it's going to be more important. It's going to be more commonplace. And it will probably have a new place in the review as it becomes more important. Well, right now, right now, it's just a, a feature, an extra feature. Right. It's 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 almost like a you know n- novelty. It's exactly it is a novelty. And, yeah. You know how many people are seri- are going to take it that seriously? You know, I mean, when you can actually just go out and buy yourself an HD video camera, and, you know, this will give you some creative possibilities, but it's not going to be your you know your your one tool. I can't wait to play with one. I'm on the waiting list for a review copy for about 400 years now. <laughs> but hopefully I'll get one soon. And that's a that's a shout out to you folks yeah, at Canon. Thanks a lot. I mean, when the Mark III is ready, you'll Yes. <laughs> exactly right. Well, speaking of what's ready, are we ready to take a quick break? Yeah, we should take a break. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of things that we covet, I am a big fan of laptop computers. What about I you? Like, I, I love laptop computers. Love them. I actually recently purchased my first Macs. I got a um, iMac as well as a laptop. And in retrospect, I kind of wish I just got 
the laptop. I think if I would have just gotten the top of the line 17 inch, I would have been just as happy and would have had so many fewer issues with syncing and keeping the two computers you know, in sync with each other. It would have just been easier to have one computer, have the 17 inch, you know, piped out to a 24 inch monitor. I think it would have been fine, but what the heck, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually in that debate myself right now. I'm trying to get, our, our computers are getting old at home and, uh, and I'm trying to figure out what to get. Do I get the 17 inch MacBook pro or do I get the, you know, 24 inch iMac? And our friend Laurel Housden just made that decision, right? Yep. She got the, uh, the Mac, the iMac. Right? No, no, she got the MacBook Pro, I thought. She, oh, she just went oh, back no, to the right. She got the MacBook Pro, 17-inch, yeah. right, with the extra screen, with the new 24-inch right. screen, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Well, that's the way you'd have to go. So, you know, I love looking at laptops. It turns out that there is a laptop. This is the first one I've ever seen that is being targeted just at photographers. And it really is sort of an aspirational item. So I wanted to talk about it today. It has some features I've never seen before on a laptop that are really useful, genuinely useful for the photographer. Now, the first problem with it, though, is it is a Windows machine. <laughs> yeah, that's the first problem. And I have stuck with Windows for many, many years and put up with every iteration up to Vista. But when I had three Vista machines die within a year of each other, I made the switch to Mac and I haven't looked back, right? No, you haven't, actually. I haven't heard anything... Like, I have not heard you pining away for your Windows machine. No, it is mostly loves and kisses to the Mac and the OS X operating system. But listen to how sweet this camera is. It's a ThinkPad. ThinkPad. Not a camera, but laptop. Did I say camera? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you look at this. I'm converging the two. So it is a ThinkPad, and ThinkPads are very well-regarded systems to begin with, right? Yeah. It is a 17-inch model with a built-in Wacom tablet. In the palm rest. Wow. So you actually can do everything you can do with the tablet, which for those of you who don't know, it's a pen stylus interface for interacting with your screen so that instead of using a mouse, you're actually drawing. So if you're on a Photoshop document, you can use pen strokes to lighten or darken areas and change the sensitivity of how hard you're pressing to change how light or dark the area gets. So it's much more intuitive to use. Never so this, saw that before. So does this have one of those little like eraser things for the mouse movement? Um, I call the little eraser, those little, uh, they look like a little pencil eraser stuck in the middle of your keyboard. What do they call those? Yes, it does. It's a, it's a track point. A track point. So yeah. it has a track point for moving the mouse around and then it has this for this pen, so instead of having a little touch pad for your fingers down there, it's a Wacom tablet? No, 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 no. It's very interesting. It's much more complicated than that. The Wacom tablet, it, it has three things. It has a mouse pad with buttons, just like most laptops, right? Okay. Then in the middle of the keyboard, it also has this eraser-sized little nubbin, right between the G and H keys, a little bit lower, which you can also use to manipulate where you put the cursor. So it has two pointing devices. No, it's got three, because to the right of the mouse pad, what you'd consider a mouse pad, is a much larger mouse pad, which is actually the digitizer that you use wow. the stylus on. That's pretty awesome. So it's got a mouse pad, an oversized mouse pad, which is actually a touchpad, and the little nubbin. Wow. Yeah, it's very, very sweet. So right away, 
That is a very nice feature. Second nice feature, which I've never seen in any computer before, is it has built-in color calibration that uses the uh, X-Rite color calibrator, which is a very uh, standardized... Uh, high quality. Yeah. High quality way of... of uh, Calibrating your screen, um, and probably is you know it's it's among the top two or three brands out there, and uh, does precise Pantone color matching. Pantone is the common color language that uh, different printers and and monitors and uh, print houses use to you know quote unquote describe a color, right? Yeah, so it's using. I'm looking at this and saying it shows a Huey Pro now. No, this is what it does. It okay. uses UE Pro is the software that is made by Xrite. Okay. You start up the program just like you would start up any other program on your computer. When the program starts running, you close the cover of your laptop so that the laptop there's a little camera by where the keyboard is that's reading the colors off the screen. Wow. Of the laptop. 90 seconds later, you open your laptop and it is automatically color calibrated for you. Nice. Very nice. Is that not cool? That is very nice. <laughs> and then the other thing that I think is just so cool about this camera, because I'm a total nerd, this camera, I said it again, this laptop, because yeah. <laughs> I'm such a nerd, is it's a 17-inch screen, which is you know terrific on a laptop, right? Yeah. It's about as big a laptop as you can practically carry. In addition to the 17-inch screen, there is a separate... 10-inch screen, which is retractable that you pull out, like, you know, you used to pull down the, um, when you're in elementary school, you'd pull down those screens for the projector. Yeah. This is a, a screen that pulls out from the side, from the a side. retractable 10-inch screen that gives you a second long, narrow monitor <laughs> on the insane. side of your laptop. That's just crazy. Are you looking at the picture? Yeah, I am. I thought I thought there was just another monitor somewhere in the distance. No, no, that's, that that slides out of the side of your monitor. That's that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you were in Photoshop or something, you could put your palettes and tools there, right? Yeah, which is typically what you do with a second monitor, or you could have Photoshop Lightroom open on one of those on the smaller one and drag your photos over to Photoshop, which would be on your main monitor. It is a two-monitor laptop. That is pretty neat. <laughs> Insane, I right? Say. It's got a lot of pretty neat things there. It's three ba major distinctive features there. Plus, you know, it's got, you know, obviously the highest version of uh, Windows you can get now, which is the Vista Ultimate, uh, a very high uh, speed processor for a laptop running at 3.6 gigahertz, uh, 128 core, one gigabyte video card. I mean, it is, it is pretty, it's, it's got dual 320 gigabyte hard drives. This is in the particular configuration, you know, that they're marketing to the photographers. And so all of this can be this yours. Yeah. <laughs> all of this can be yours for $4,700. Wow. Jane cheap. Now, that being said, when I look at, um, when I price out sort of my dream 17 inch MacBook Pro, it comes up to over four, well over $4,000. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Right. For versus a, a, a MacBook Pro, this is not overpriced. Right? Yeah, I mean this has four gig of RAM. Yep, and the only thing there is you have to deal with Windows, unless you run Linux. Right. I don't know if this supports Linux, I bet you it does. 
Right. And, and, you know, I will say all the reports about Windows 7, the next version of Windows, people are loving it. Have you read anything? I have not. I just know that it's coming. Loving Windows 7. Yeah, weren't people saying that about Vista before it came out? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember, to be honest. There was a lot of, I remember people were very, very excited about it. And, uh, and it's, suddenly they weren't. Well, the, the, the reviews and the early word I'm reading now are all the, um, people over at CNED and, you know, and Gadget who, you know, are kind of jaded and they've been burned by Vista. So, you know, they're looking at it very skeptically and they are all loving it. Well, that's good. I'm, I, I'd rather they have a successful operating system. Yeah, I know. It's better for everybody, right? Yes. But the problem with it that, you know, every once in a while someone will mention, as if it's an aside, but I think it's the major part of it really, is that every Windows version I ever used was terrific for the first three months. Really? And then what happens? It's once you start, you know, putting applications on Windows and putting things on and taking them off, especially, that it starts to really bog down. But, you know, at first it's always, you know, a honeymoon. <laughs> well, I, I know whenever I used to have Windows, the first thing I would do after I installed it was then remove all, all sorts of stuff. I'd right. have to spend a lot of time optimizing it. Right. Just, just to... It, you know, it ran all these programs I didn't want to run and all these things on the hard drive I didn't want. And so, it, you know, and then, and then I used to find myself having to reload it like once every year or so. Right. Because, because of that problem you're describing where when you do enough loading and removal of programs, you know, it leaves so much trash behind. Right. And things, it, you know, things are just never the same. Yep. Windows gets very kludgy after a while. I have not had that problem in a year of using Mac, so... You know, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen with Macs. Right. It actually does. Um, at least, I, takes I don't a, know exactly. what. It, hmm? Takes a lot longer. Yeah, and, and there's some things you can do. There's some programs that help you with that. Right. And you can remove some caches and things like that that, that build up over time. Now, the only thing that frustrates me about this um, ThinkPad W700, this top-of-the-line notebook for photographers, is that in Windows, it does have a tablet interface. So you actually can have a monitor, uh, you know, uh, uh, when I say monitor, the display of the laptop that you can draw on, you know, that you can actually write and draw and click on, um, that then becomes like a giant Cintiq, like a Wacom Cintiq, you know, the monitors that you can use the pen right on the monitor. I don't know why this laptop doesn't have that. I mean, it's nice that it has the Wacom tablet embedded into the palm rest, but why you can't just draw right on the screen. Why isn't it a tablet? Yeah, I would have made this a tablet. Then it would have been perfect. It would cuz then it would have been a tablet. Um, <laughs> no, I no, I you know, all I can say is, you know, that what I've seen other there are a lot of users out there. We've uh, you know, I work for a software company and we try to float our new software out there, show it to people and we first put on tablets and we found that tablets are really kind of hard to use if you're not used to them. And so, well, there's that ergonomic question again. My last, right, right, right. If you're not used to them, and you have to know about them, you know, first of all, you have to know your Windows pretty well, you know, because then you're taking that leap from knowing your Windows to to making things easier. And I I have no doubt that it's a good tool, Um, but for the for many people, it's not. And so, I think that what they're trying to do is possibly address that. That. Tablets are not for everybody, so let's design this other thing. And some people just want to have um, pen control, pen input control. So just because you have, want pen in, input control does not mean you necessarily want a tablet. They don't necessarily equal the same thing. 
No, they're not. But my last three laptops were tablets. It was the one thing I missed in, well, the major thing I missed in going from Windows to Mac is I love the tablet interface. I had a 12-inch ThinkPad that was a tablet PC, which I absolutely adored. And I was using it up until about two weeks ago for web browsing, for reading PDFs, PDFs, because you can hold it in, um, you know, in the same mode as you would a magazine page, right? And it was a terrific way to read and mark up documents using it up until two weeks ago when my four-year-old decided to jump on my lap and spill the glass of water on it. Oh. Yeah, and now it won't even charge up anymore. You have some bad luck with hardware. I do. Or, or, and I have bad luck with four-year-olds, apparently. That would, <laughs> well, be, the, sure. that would be the worst. I'm sure you're very lucky to have your four-year-old. Um, so um, that, that was my last Windows machine in the house. And I loved that machine. That was what I'd always read on. I loved browsing the web on it. I could sit on the couch with my feet up you know, and keep it in my lap. No keyboard, no mouse pad. Just tap away and scroll down the page. But um, now that one's gone too. So I would have loved to see this as a tablet PC. But I, I actually agree with you that whatever the... Um, Whatever the uh, real truth is of the tablet operating system, it, it definitely does have a bad rap. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not anti-tablet. I think they're right. pretty neat. It's just that they're they're not as intuitive and not just right for everybody. Right. And and they're good for some very specialized uh, purposes, and they're good for folks who like them. And yeah. You know, and uh, I love the idea of them, um, but and I. Uh, you know, but they don't perform as like, well, they don't usually perform as well as I want them to. What does? Well, like if I'm using, like doing Photoshop things on the screen. Right. It doesn't always like, you know. Well, the refresh and everything is not quite there. Yeah, it's not, it's a little laggy. Right. But, you know, in, in a $5,300 laptop, you would have thought they could work that out. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of another format to confuse everybody, um, you know, now that we all know what compact point and shoot cameras are and we know what DSLRs are, last year uh, a new camera format was released called the Micro Four Thirds format. It's basically a um, DSLR-sized sensor from the Four Thirds system, which was used by Olympus and Panasonic. I think it's about half the size of a full frame sensor, right? Because it's a two-time crop factor with their yeah. lenses. Um, and basically, they found a way to take that large sensor, comparatively large, compared to a point-and-shoot, um, and put it into a new body that uses a new prism viewfinder, mirror box, and an electronic viewfinder to essentially make a DSLR-like camera with interchangeable lenses in basically the size of a, of a large point-and-shoot. So uh, think of them as mini DSLRs. The first one to come out with this was the Panasonic uh, DMC-G1. I had predicted this camera would be a dog and that this format would never take off. I still don't know how it's going to do in the marketplace, but Pop Photo picked their camera of the year, and what was it? It was the G1. The Panasonic G1. And you know, I don't know if I mentioned this the last time I talked about it, but it's so funny. Not only do I think that this this format is, is a dog, but the most famous um, sort of high-end compact point-and-shoot cameras are, are the Canon line, which started with the G3, the G5, the G7. It's now up to the G10. Why Panasonic called their camera the G1 
that's basically competing in the same space. I don't know, but even the name of it's dumb because it's it's just basically sounds like a lower end version. Well, there are only so many letters. Of the can- yeah. Well, then they start need to start using names. They could just call this the mini, the mini DSLR. But um, Pop Photo thinks this is a format with enough promise that even though they, you know, sort of admit that the G1 is first generation, um, they say it's expensive and imperfect. Well, I think, I mean, I'm totally, I mean, I'm I'm very intrigued by this camera. I kind of want one. And uh, I'm hoping that maybe when they add high def to it, that would make it much more interesting. Well, high def video. High def video. When they add high def video to that, I imagine the next model they'll do, the next iteration, will have high def video. That's what I'm expecting. Well, that's what everybody's expecting. Yeah. But well, no, you know, no, I'm the only one expecting that. No, no, no. Everybody, everybody <laughs> thinks that, Michael. I hate to tell, but you know what? You could be. Well, you can't be the first, but you could be unique if you didn't really read every other analyst who expects that. <laughs> well, I didn't read every analyst, but okay. I know that it doesn't have that feature. And that's the one I would be waiting for. And that's that, that's also one reason that could, that could hurt the sales of that camera is because folks like me who want the high-def video feature are going to wait. Right. And so I, you're going to have a lot of people possibly just waiting it out saying, I'll get the next one. I, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about having a small quality camera. What's there not to get? In the, in the film world, you have what, those Minox cameras? Right. Is that what they're called? I don't know. Minox? And, uh, I never heard yeah. of Minox. I think Minox was one of the Greek gods. Well, um, anyway, they, they make these small cameras, little, like little spy cameras, whatever, right. tiny cameras. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, whether they'll, I'm sure, you know, there'll always be some people who want, you know, something, but, you know, whether I think, whether this is going to take off, I just, I just can't figure out who the people are who, you know, want to spend a DSLR-like amount of money on a camera that has some of the capability of a DSLR and it's not that much smaller. I mean, this first one, the G1, the whole point of the camera is its compactness and it's not as small as the smallest DSLRs, right? It's not? No. I thought it was. Nope. What, what, what DSLR is smaller than, than this camera? Oh, it's somewhere in this article that's in front of me. Okay. It says that the, the camera body isn't appreciably smaller than the tiniest DSLRs, such as the Olympus E420 and the Pentax K2000. So there you have it. It isn't appreciably smaller. Right. Okay. So there you go. So the body, okay, so maybe it's, you know, unappreciably maybe smaller. smaller, but maybe not appreciably. Right. Whatever. I just don't get it. I'm a curmudgeon about these things. I just think that consumers are so overwhelmed by choice right now, and there's such a push on to educate the consumer about DSLRs in general to confuse the market with a third format. I just don't know that it's going to take off, and I don't know that it helps. Well, nobody knows. I think a lot of people are putting a lot of uh, eggs in certain baskets and, uh, you know, hoping for the best. Right. But, um, you know, for some camera companies, it, you know, this might be their only future. Right. And so... Uh, well, that's true. Well, it'll be interesting to see. The pop photo, very hot on it. They say, um, like the first generation iPhone, the G1 is expensive and imperfect, but like the iPhone, it is brave and forward thinking. And the last sentence of the article says, the possibilities represented by the G1 certainly could redefine photography. 
So that's a strong statement. Yeah, and one of the things is something about that the design of this particular camera body was that they designed it to be very DSLR-like, uh-huh. so it would be familiar. Um, from my, what I read into that was that they could have designed it to be a much more different type of design that wasn't uh, didn't resemble DSLR as much, but was maybe more compact. But they didn't. They wanted it to be more traditional, like so as to to entice the people who want DSLRs. All right. So um, I expect that we're going to see very look different design shapes from this camera. This well, camera. we will if it takes off, right? I uh, yeah, I hope and I hope it does. Right. Well, I, uh, you know, look. I'm I, rooting for this camera system. Well, you root what for everybody. You're a nice guy. Yeah, but you know, I I like the idea of having a small compact camera that's really high quality. Right now, you know, I'm still using my Canon SD550 from a couple years back, and it just sits in my pocket. But I wouldn't mind having something else with maybe a little sort of a pancake, little flat lens that uh that I can take anywhere and and have you know very high quality. Well, I wouldn't mind that either. But I don't know that this is going to be it. (laughs) I would have rather this not go into the direction of interchangeable lenses. I just think that, you know, for myself, I'd love a great compact camera. Absolutely. With high quality and a larger sensor would be terrific. But I'm invested in, you know, the lenses I'm invested in on my DSLR. Do I want to now get a compact camera that I have to buy three and four lenses at a couple hundred pops a piece, right? That's what. That's just what I don't get. I mean, I might just buy one lens right. for that camera. Well, yeah. there are only two available now, so you couldn't do much more there than that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> They're making the choice easy. All right. Almost as expensive as a DSLR, almost as big as a DSLR, a lot less lens choice. The people who are buying the G1 are the definition of early adopters. If any of you are out there in the audience, write to us at, what is our address at Gmail? It's digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. And tell us what you think of it or put a post on Scott's photo blog about why you love your G1. Because we want to know, right? Yeah. And even better if you'll buy one for Michael, because <laughs> he loves it sight unseen. And check yeah. out Scott's photo blog for the 50% discount on the first year of Smug Mug, as well as other exciting news and offers during the week, right? Yes. All right. Anything else you want to throw in today? Yeah, that'll be all. All right. And you can check out Scott's photo blog for all the links that we discuss in the show to all the stories, as well as to us on Facebook and Twitter and MySpace and all that happy stuff that everybody loves doing in the social media, right? Oh, yes. Very all right. big. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk again next week. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>